we're going to be addressing some of the things of uh, intimacy related in a marriage relationship. I think uh, probably most of you are familiar with the game show or the game itself, Jeopardy, where an answer is given and then the correct way to respond to the answer is to pose the question. And so as an answer is delivered by the game show host, the first person to respond with the correct question that would lay the groundwork for that answer is the one who gets the credit for that and they receive the the money and so forth for that particular response. What we have come to in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is very similar to that and it's going to go right through the rest of the, the book of 1 Corinthians. We don't know the specific questions that are being posed by the people at the church in Corinth. But up until this point, the Apostle Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, has been opening up God's will concerning a variety of different things that are applicable to the entire church. Now, the Spirit of God is going to work through Paul to answer a host of different questions that the people at Corinth have written to him about. And he is now giving answers. The first question that comes up is one regarding marriage. But as you go through the remainder of this this book, you're going to find out that he's going to be answering questions related to personal liberty. He's going to be answering questions related to the form of worship. He's going to be answering questions related to spiritual gifts. He's going to be answering questions related to the resurrection. He's going to be answering questions related to giving. And so as we move now into this new segment of writing, we begin to get responses to these questions that for us are not actually asked. We're just given the answer. Paul expresses that the answer he's giving is in response to the question. So by looking at the question, or I should say by looking at the answer, we can pretty well figure out just what the question might have been. And the question that probably was being asked by the believers at Corinth was this. Is it wrong to be single? Now, I understand that part of what we talk about today is going to be directed to a segment of our congregation that we usually don't address, and that's those of you who are single. Some would be young people, teenagers, who hope one day to be married, right? To have many children, to bring them all to church, and to make the population of the church explode, okay? There are those who are perhaps older and have not married. There might be those who have lost a mate. There might be those who are divorced. And so we have a host of people in a different type of a circumstance that have brought them to the place of being single. But in the midst of answering the question related to singleness, the Apostle Paul also addresses a lot of the issues related to the marriage relationship. And they're included for us here in this seventh chapter. In fact, the entire chapter deals with this. But there's a specific issue in these first 11 verses. Is it wrong to be single? Why would a question like that be asked? For us, 
we might not have the same background that the people at Corinth had to, to raise that kind of a question. But we may have thought of it in, in this regard. If you go back to the book of Genesis and you read what the Lord said in Genesis chapter 2, he looked at man, he says, it's not good for man to be alone, so the Lord made a helper who was fit for him. And then the Lord goes on to explain that for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, when you read that, it almost seems that it is God's desire for everyone to be married, that there would be a mate for every individual. And so that could create a question for people. They might look and say, wow, does that include me? Add to that some of the cultural issues that these people were facing. In the Jewish realm, under what what was called the Mishnah, which is part of the Jewish explanation of the law, it was the the expansion of the law that the God that, that God had given. The Mishnah indicated that a person should be married by the time they're seventeen or eighteen years old. If you were a Jew living in Babylon at this time. You remember how many had been taken to Babylon before in the, in the um, occupation uh, and the takeover of the Babylonians? In Babylon, young ladies were being married by the age of 14. A Jewish writer made this statement. He said, a Jew who has no wife is not a man. Well, now that, that starts putting a lot of pressure on you. And you begin to think, man alive, is it wrong to be single? Is, is that something that God doesn't intend for, for any of his people to be? And then, within the realm of the Corinthian culture itself... There was so much immorality going on. There were people who thought they were worshiping by virtue of their sexual involvement with prostitutes. And there is this pressure that people were confronted with day after day after day. And so here come the singles. And they're believers. And they say, is it wrong for me to be this way? Today... A lot of those issues don't really confront us. But there are other issues that might bring us to, to raise a very similar question. Um, think about this. The church, by and large, is really geared to families. It, it primarily focuses upon families. We, we talk about husbands and wives and children and their relationships and so forth. And when we have activities and we have events... Oftentimes, it's, a lot of it centers around families. And I, I know that that can sometimes cause singles to feel as if, well, maybe they're outside the norm. And no, you're not. You're not. Um, society in general kind of makes you feel like a fifth wheel. You know, couples will go out and they'll invite you because you're a nice person and they want you to come along, but there'll be two or three couples sitting there and, and then you'll be sitting there and you feel the pressure. Or maybe you have family pressures where mom is saying, when are you going to get married? Or maybe dad is saying, when are you going to get married and leave? And the pressure begins to fall. 
And Paul, as he addresses these believers at Corinth, brings to their attention this reality. It is not wrong to be single. There is nothing wrong with singleness. It's not better. It's not worse than being married. But there are some questions that a person should ask before they get married. And as we look at this portion of God's word, I'd like you to go back again to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning there at the first verse, where it talks about now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, all right, the question was thrown out by the Corinthians, now the answer is going to come back, is marriage right for me? And here come the questions in response to the answers. Do you have the gift of singleness? Do you have the gift of singleness? Say, I never thought of that as being a gift. Well, look with me, if you will, down at verse 7, where we read this. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another In that, what's he talking about? When you look at the context, both in the verses that precede verse 7 and in the verses that follow verse 7, the whole context is related to being single or being married. And he puts within the realm of both of those circumstances of life this understanding. God gives you the gift to be what he wants you to be. If he wants you to be married, you are gifted in such a way that you do have the capability to be the husband or the wife that you should be. And by the same token, if the Lord desires that you remain single, he gives the gift and the capability to remain within that realm of singleness so that in both realms, whether married or single, you have the capability to do everything that God has intended for you to do. If you have been called to one or the other of those relationships and you try to live outside of that, disaster is going to occur. Let me just tell you that. It's going to be disastrous. So what he wants us to understand right off the bat is which one, which gift has God given you? Well, how do I know? Well, then he begins to give us some clues as to how to evaluate ourselves in relation to that. Has God enabled you to remain pure? That's one of the tests. God has created man and woman with desires. Those desires are good, but they can be distorted by that which is evil. What God is asking everyone to evaluate within his or her own life is this. Can I remain pure without giving in to desires that would motivate me to do something impure? Look at what it says in verse 2. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. What's Paul saying here? He is saying this. Because the temptations to be impure are so strong, some of them from the culture around you, some of them from within, they are part of your being. 
If you cannot conquer the drive that causes you to desire the intimacy of a marriage relationship, if you can't conquer that, then you should marry. Go down to verse 7. For I wish... Pardon me, verse 9, not 7. Verse 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So what is the Lord saying? He's saying, look, evaluate yourself. If you have constant pressure to desire the intimacy of the sexual relationship, then if that is there and it is driving you, then in all likelihood, you probably do not have the gift of singleness. Does that make sense to you? I, listen, you know, we're, we're moving into areas that you, you don't talk about in church, right? You, you're not supposed to talk about this stuff. And I think that's why the world has taken over telling us what we should do. And so we're going to talk about what God says we should do so we can stand against the world. Listen, there are natural drives that God has put within men and women that are designed for the purpose of bringing you together in a marriage relationship, or if you are able to control that drive and it is not overwhelming, then you have the capability to remain single. And maybe you should. There's another test that follows on the heels of this. Will you be able to serve the Lord more effectively as a single individual? How do I know that? Well, look down with me, if you will, to verse 8. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Why? Because Paul recognized that by being single... Oh, let, let me back up a little bit. Was Paul married? Well, this, this becomes a little bit of a, a conundrum for us. Because Paul had been involved in some of the leadership within Jewish circles before he had become a believer in Christ. And it appears that in order to be part of the group with which he was identified, marriage was one of the requirements. So there is a testimony to the fact that Paul was probably married. Could there be an exception to that where Paul had never married and still would have been able to be involved in that leadership? I suppose that that's possible, but another possibility is this. He may have been married and his wife may have died, or he may have been married and his wife may have left him. Now, he's going to write to us about that, how a believer has to give the unbeliever the freedom to leave. Whatever the case is, at this point in time, he's not married. He doesn't have a wife. And so he tells us that in that situation, he really wishes that those who are single would kind of stay single because he believes that under certain circumstances, you can serve the Lord much more effectively as a single individual than you can as a married one. How do I know that? If you will, go with me to the 32nd verse of this chapter. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. 
There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord and that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now, he's not saying that that is wrong. He's just saying that it is limiting. When you're married, there are certain limitations. There are certain things that you need to do as a husband or as a wife that require your time and your energy that do not give you the freedom to be fully involved in the Lord's work. If you're single, you don't have those same issues. He goes on and says this in verse 35, And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you. Isn't that kind of cool? Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. He's saying, listen, I want you to understand if you're single and it doesn't look as if God is bringing one, someone into your life to be married to and all other things being equal, do you understand? You, can, you, you have freedom to serve the Lord. You have freedom to go where he wants you to go. You have freedom to do what he wants you to do. And you can do that faithfully and effectively. If you're married, there are other considerations that you have to think about. So he raises the first question. Do you have the gift of singleness? Let's go on into the second question. Do you see marriage as a holy calling? Do you understand that marriage is a holy calling? It is not just something you do because society and culture says you should. It's something that God calls you to. Here's the question, or one of the questions to help answer that. Will Christ be the center of, of your marriage. I'm just going to say it. If Christ isn't going to be the center of your marriage, don't get married. That's simple. If Christ is not the center of your marriage, don't get married. There are people today who are followers of Jesus Christ And because of perhaps impatience, perhaps because of disobedience, perhaps because of social pressure, they will choose to marry a mate who will not walk with them in the center of the will of God. They're more concerned about depending on who it is, sex, somebody to take care of you. Um, All my friends are married. You fill in the blanks. If Christ is not going to be the center for the husband and the wife who will come together to enhance each other's relationship with the Lord, you ought not get married. How many times have you seen a Christian kid marry either an unbeliever or a very carnal believer, and before long, the pressures of that influence within the home begin to take the believer away from the things of the Lord? On occasion, it will go the other way. 
I'm not trying to, to make statements that cannot be, cannot have exceptions to them. There are times when there are exceptions, but quite frankly, the exceptions are because of God's grace, not because you did something you should. God graciously intervenes. I, I know of people, uh, boy, I shouldn't get into this, but, but we tell the truth, so here comes the truth. I know people who married unbelievers and that unbeliever became a believer and now they have a good, strong Christian marriage. And people will look at that and they'll say, look, that's what I'm hoping to do with this person that I want to marry. You better not. That is only God's grace that brought that person to the place where they accepted Christ. You are playing with fire. When you have a choice to make, you choose the person who will walk with you in your fellowship with the Lord and in the desire to make Christ the very center of your lives. I don't know how to make it any plainer than that. And I have people will come to me and they'll say, Pastor, we'd like some counsel. And you give them counsel and then they blow it off. (laughs) Then a few years later they come back and they say, we need counsel. And we're supposed to sit in the room and listen. And try to help them get out of the problems they have created for themselves. But inside you're saying, you know, if you had just listened two years ago, you wouldn't be in this mess. Is there ever a point where a pastor should just say, hey, you didn't take my advice last time. Let's not bother. Is there ever a time you should do that? No. Nuts. I can tell you this. I think it. Second test is, is there a proper mate available and interested? Is there a proper mate available and interested? Listen, if there is nobody there that you should marry, but that you could marry, don't marry them. It's better to be single and wish you weren't than to be married and wish you weren't. Singleness can change quickly. Marriage, it's always a tragedy. It's always a tragedy. So, is there somebody there who is interested in you, who is available, who sees the marriage relationship as God intends it to be, which is a godly relationship that focuses on the person of Jesus Christ? Now you're on the right track. Are you guys taking notes? One, get your bulletins out. Do you guys have pens? There's a bulletin right next to you. Do you guys not have pens? Somebody have a pen that these guys can borrow? Okay, just bring them over. Here they come. I'm not trying to embarrass you, huh? But you guys need to listen to this because you're the ones that are going to be pressed not to do what God wants you to do. The third test is, is the timing right? Are there times when a person should not get married? And the answer to that is yes. Part of Paul's argument in this entire portion of Scripture is related to the circumstances under which the people at Corinth were living. How do I know that? If you will look with me down at verse 26, notice how Paul says this. I suppose, therefore, that this is good. What is good? That, that 
you can remain single because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, if you're married, don't seek to be loose from a wife. If you're single, don't seek a wife. Under the present distress, he is not speaking about generally the way things are, but there were pressures that were going on. There were, Listen, there was going to be persecution coming down on these believers. And some of them were going to go through some really rough times. If you're single, stay that way for now. It's better. And there are times when it is better not to marry. When are they? I don't know. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But you must determine, is this one of the times that I should not get married? Let's go on to a third question. Will you give yourself unreservedly to your mate? And he begins by raising the question of your body. Look at verses 3 and 4. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Some people in this church saw celibacy as a superior way to live than being involved in the marriage relationship. And some of those that held that view were already married. So what they would do is they would withhold their sexual involvement with their mate for supposedly spiritual reasons. There were those who felt that getting married in and of itself was an inferior way to live and that it might be better to remain single. Paul addresses that issue when he wrote to Timothy. And in First um, Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, did you catch that? Doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Here come the doctrines of demons, forbidding to marry. You're not allowed to marry someone. You know what that's called? A doctrine of demons. There are those who believe that celibacy is a better relationship or is a better state of living than marriage. And Paul says, hey, if that's what you forbid by virtue of your pseudo-religious concepts, that's a doctrine of demons. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. By the way, that particular passage is part of the reason why we can eat pretty much anything we want to eat. The old dietary laws have been abrogated. 
And if you give thanks, and I recently had somebody say to me, well, why do we have to bow our head and pray before we eat? Are we just trying to put a show on for people at the restaurant? Are you kidding? I struggled for years bowing my head and praying, thinking, oh, people are looking at me. I'll try to do this. Thank you for the food, Lord. Amen. And then finally you get to realize, wait a minute, the Lord's what matters. Why do we thank the Lord for the food? Because if it's received with thanksgiving, you're allowed to eat anything. Well, that has nothing to do with marriage. I'm just big on food. Those who thought that being single were better felt that the physical relationship was an inferior expression of the life that God intended people to live. That is not what the Lord said. You know, he said to wives, you're no longer the master of your own body. You know what he said to the husbands? You're no longer the master of your own body. Both of you belong to each other. Now, here is the danger that you run into. If I express the positive side of this only, then people are going to say, but what about, and then they will give me the exception. So let me try to put a blanket over this whole thing. There are men who are cruel, who are unkind, who are so forceful that it is repulsive to their wives to be involved with them in intimacy. And that is not what this is speaking about. This is not for a man to just lord it over his wife and say, you're going to submit to me. Infrequently, it may go the other way with the wife. But for a loving relationship that is designed the way God intends for marriage to be, with the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church, and the wife submitting to the husband as the church submits to Christ, The two are masters of each other's bodies and are designed to enjoy one another and to satisfy each other's physical desires. And that is right and that is good. Part of the reason I express that as strongly as I am is because of you guys. Now, your parents let you stay, so I'm going on their judgment. But part of what happens with young people is this. Your entire lives, you're told, physical involvement, having sex before you get married is sin and it's wrong. And it is. Okay, we're straight on that? But the day you get married, it's okay. And sometimes it's hard for Christian young people to shift gears. And sometimes later on in the relationship, little difficulties will arise because there's a sense that, oh, oh, I was always taught that this is wrong and now I... No, it's right and it's good. Okay? Young people, wherever you are, I pick on this group down here because they all sit together. You guys are going to learn to split up. (laughs) No, I'm glad that you sit down here. That's good. Okay, so your body is part of what you give. Your time, look at verse 5. Do not deprive one another. Now, this is in the context of intimacy. You do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What he's 
focusing on here is this. There may come a time under certain circumstances where you and your mate are going to have to be apart and no longer give yourselves to the intimate physical relationship of marriage. Uh, that, that was way too hard to say. You're not going to have sex for a while. Because God's plan is that you are together, that your time is spent together, that your intimacy is deeply ingrained together, if you decide that you're going to spend time away, let it be under certain circumstances. Both of you agree that this is what's best. We should spend some time apart. And by the way, it is good for a man and wife to be apart for a little bit of time. I mean, women have got to have their own things with other women, right? Okay? Don't anybody take this further than what I'm saying. A night out with the ladies is a nice thing. A guy needs to maybe go to a ball game one afternoon. Do you you know what I'm saying? That's not what's in view here. What's in view here is there's some kind of a difficulty in the relationship. The two agree, you know what, we, we need to just give each other a little space for a time. But how long? Well, you do it when both of you agree to do it, and you do it so that you can pray and fast. How long can you go without food? Some of you would say, I'd make it 40 days. An hour? (laughs) Oh, boy, the Allens have a great relationship. They can't be apart for more than an hour. You do it with restrictions to pray and to fast a limited time with the intention of reuniting. Why? Because God intended that the two of you spend your time together so that you do not be tempted to find satisfaction elsewhere. Do I have to explain that that's what happens today? You know, you, you need to take some things into consideration. You, you, you need to think about an occupation that will keep you apart. Okay, here we go. You should not accept a job that requires the two of you to be apart from each other for extended periods of time. Oh, but i got to feed my family. No. You need to protect your family. And God will supply. You do not accept a job where you have to be gone from your mate for extended periods of time. You do not travel and be away. When I graduated from college, I was a sales rep. And I can remember being sent on my first trip. And as I went out on that trip, I was in North Carolina, and I was bored to death. I'm all alone. The only people I talk to all day long are the accounts that I'm visiting and the waitresses at the restaurants. And it was only like two days, and I'm starting to go crazy. So I decided to go for a walk. And I walked around the the motel where I was staying. And as I'm walking, I realized that most of the people that were there were also salesmen. And I'd walk down the, the walkway, and doors would be open. And you'd see the guys in there, and they're 
figuring out some of their spreadsheets and they're doing all this other stuff and they're sitting there with a bottle of whiskey and a big glass next to it. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I didn't have the Lord, those other things would be very easy to introduce into my life. Including other women. God says no. You don't stay apart from your family. But I'm a salesman. Then let's start working on a way to fix this. Military obligations. Sometimes you have no control over what happens. You're deployed. You have to go. But I'll tell you, if you have the option, you don't go. And you don't get married if you know you're going. Got real quiet in here. You know, one of the things that I think you had the most control over is your recreation. Some people will have recreation. Something I've never been able to understand, and maybe this is what some of you do, and if you do, I'm sorry, but husbands and wives taking separate vacations. That is, that is dynamite waiting to blow up. What are we thinking? Uh, I know what you're thinking. It's five after 12. And he's not done. Ah, I can't be done yet. Uh, No. Do you know what we're going to do? Part two will be coming in two weeks. It may be real short because I only have two small things left. Do you know what? Some of you may wonder, why do I stop in sermons and not finish them? Just quickly go through them. Do you know why? It's job security. <laughs> I'll be here in two weeks. <laughs> no. Listen, I... Uh, wouldn't you guys rather just take time and see what God has to say about things? So that's what we're going to do. I know you would. I know you would. Um, You guys, listen up. This will save you all kinds of grief if you listen to what God has to say. Okay? Not just mom and dad, but God. Let's stand. Father, we've gone down a pathway today that's uh, pretty rocky. It's uh, a rough road. It's overgrown because it's not traveled very often. Father, I pray that you would help us as a church to be the exception to what we see going on in the world. I pray that you would help us to develop our concepts of relationships particularly as they involve marriage, that we would get our, our thoughts and our philosophies and our beliefs and our practices from your word. I pray, Father, that we would be faithful in every relationship that you give us for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.